Hi, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Organization Business Podcast. I am your host, Lynn Pedetti. My guest today is Karina Gobbo, a forum member of mine at EO Sydney, who is also the founder of Tapeti, which was started in 2006. Tapeti produces bespoke custom rugs and carpets for commercial and high-end residential applications. Now, she has worked with companies like Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, and more. And in this episode, we're going to deep dive into the reasons why Karina decided to expand her operations to Singapore and the challenges that she faced trying to run an overseas branch while still living in Australia. Now, what I love about EO and being around entrepreneurs like Karina is that we can learn from their lessons and to know what to do and not to do when we're faced with the same challenge, such as should we expand our business overseas? Now, please join me in welcoming Karina. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode. We have Karina Gobo here. She's actually a forum member of mine. I was so lucky to hang out with her a lot. And so, Karina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks for having me. So, Karina, um, I was always so interested in what you do because it's so unique. It's like the carpet right behind you, right there. But before I get into, um, you know, learning more about your business today, we're going to talk about why you decided to expand to Singapore, a place that I love. I'm actually going there soon. Um, but yeah, uh, first up, let's introduce yourself and tell uh, tell the audience a little bit about why you decided to start into this yeah, really unique business. Yeah. Look, I started Tepeti 16 years ago and Tepeti means rugs in Italian. And people have always thought that I brought a brand in from Europe, but Tepeti is actually my brand. Um, and a lot of people, I guess, of the assumption because of the name, having the Italian association, um, had thought it was a European brand that I had the rights to in Australia. So after setting up to Petty, um, I've always had a vision for it to be a global brand. And the actual name, meaning rugs in Italian, is fairly consistent throughout Europe about what the name stands for. And in German, it's Tepeshi. So people have an understanding about the word and what it actually means uh, globally. And an opportunity came up in 2015. I started to pet in 2006 to supply GSK Pharmaceuticals in, in Singapore. And I love traveling and I've always wanted to have an international presence. And it was difficult to choose where and how. And there was a number of different factors for that. Um, Singapore came about. Um, I had a head start with a few clients that I've worked with globally. We were doing some work already globally outside of the Australian entity, uh, but we decided to go, hey, let's set up a company in Singapore as a local entity that we can actually supply, design and deliver beautiful custom rugs in Asia, not just Singapore. And Singapore being the hub uh, for Asia, also for corporations, it has a higher capita of net worth um, in one of the world from a population perspective. Um, and I saw the opportunities after doing research. So my first trip to Singapore was in 2015. I'd never even gone there. And I set the company up within about 12 months later. Wow. So 2006 was when you originally started the business and it was just running in Australia the whole time. Um, how was the operation like? Is it like, do you have a showroom like, or is it all an e-commerce business? Yeah. Just let us know a little bit of how it was set up. Yes, so it is a business-to-business. We predominantly design and manufacture for architects and designers, and that was the business philosophy in 2006. And historically, the design community in general had um, a lot of players where they used to only supply the designers. So I guess the value of design in 2006 is very different to what it is now. And the whole value of design then was designers got to purchase different products 
at a different price point. And if you were purchasing products for the home or engaging in a designer that had, I guess, the benefit was making you know more more money on putting margins onto product. But you know, fast forward sixteen years, it's a very different world with um, e-commerce. The design service value proposition has changed, um, and has the business model and to petty changed? Absolutely. So we're a team of nearly fifteen globally. And we have a new studio in Sydney. We had a, um, a small kind of studio in Chippendale before, but we've decided to actually combine our operations and also our studio. We are not retailers. We only work with designers and architects, and we will be offering some of our pieces, unique pieces online as well in the future. Mm. Actually, you, you were telling me last time you work with so many interesting brands. Are you able to share a few of those brands or exciting projects you recently did? Yeah, look, we, we get to do... Um, we really do get to work with the best designers globally. And um, we just launched a new collection with um, a firm called YSG. She's a, a designer based in Australia, but doing incredible work throughout even um, UAE, uh, Australia, and also other countries. But just to give you an example, um, 2023 right now, we are just finishing off the Deloitte fit out in, in Sydney. We've done the new AMP building. Um, we've also done Intercontinental in Perth. We've just done work with um, Dior. Um, so we've got some really fabulous brands. We also really do high-end residential homes. And a lot of the people we can't um, ma- even mention sometimes have to sign NDAs. But they're all really beautiful fit-outs. They're all custom and they're designed. So we actually have a design team in-house and we design everything from scratch. So the piece behind me, for instance, is one of our hand knots that's on the wall, but we actually draw every line by its exact width. So if that's been um, made at, say, two centimetres, we actually document the piece at two centimetres. So it's very intricate and very detailed. That is amazing. Well, let's talk about the challenges of actually expanding to a a place like Singapore. So what made you decide, like, you know what, I want to actually have a present there versus like, you know, you could be here, you could still be exporting, or you maybe just have maybe just a rep that runs around. But like, why was it that you decided that you wanted an actual office over there? Yeah, I think from an expansion point of view, so I'm going through the scaling up process at the moment and I wasn't then, um, but I had kind of, I guess, a bigger vision and we we were getting interest from Asia and we did already have a contract under our belt, which we did through the Australian um, company and importing into other countries, if you don't have a local company is actually quite difficult um, with taxes, logistics, um, duties. It, it's not as a simple process and it depends on which country that is, but particularly in Asia, it's very different from Singapore to Malaysia to even Indonesia and importation. Um, so that was probably one of the main reasons if, you know, I'm going to have an actual office based in Singapore, you know, the size of that company should marry Australia. Uh, so therefore, we need to be on the ground. Culturally also, I find, you know, when you're expanding in other countries, I don't feel you know, companies take you seriously if you're from another country and don't have a local entity or a local presence. And it depends on your distribution channels and it depends obviously on your business model. But I'm talking about a custom product that designers want to engage in a design conversation where it's hands-on. And I just find, you know, you can't do that always remotely. You know, we're not not a a service business. Um, Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge. And I think that's been my biggest challenge from, you know, living in Australia and and setting up in Asia. So did you try to do it first before you actually went there? Like you're like, all right, let me just try to liaise with those clients over here. And then, you know, and then that's when you felt that it was challenging. You're like, the only way is to actually set the office. 
We got the first contract we got, which was quite a, a considerable one, which is the GSK Pharmaceutical fit out in in Singapore. It was all done through Australia. I actually hadn't even arrived in or been to Singapore ever. Um, and is that is that sustainable for a growth model long term? No. Um, was that manageable in that instance? And I was saying yes, but the circumstances are very different. The clients knew me from Australia. They were expats living in Singapore. They were they're obviously not locals, so they really understood the product. They really understood how we worked. Uh, and and what I guess our vision was for the project. So in that essence, if you know, in a beautiful world, if every client was like that um, from an expansion point of view, then I'd say yes, absolutely. I wouldn't set up there, but that's not the reality of the local market in Singapore. Yeah. Okay. So take us back to that time when you decide, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up in Singapore. So what was the first step, and then what did you have to do in order to actually set up? I um, kind of went back to my roots when I started to petty here in Australia, and I went there with a suitcase with my samples and I went and presented to X amount of design firms. So I did the market research. I've got a corporate marketing background, so I was very kind of familiar with, um, I guess, a, a market and where a product sits from a price point and a positioning. And I actually got there, wheeled around my 30 kilogram sample bag, uh, so I have neck issues, and um, and saw the clients and asked them, you know, like, what, what do you want in the market? I did market research. Uh, and I did that myself. I didn't ask anybody else. Um, and the next challenge was setting up a local entity when you were not a local, when you're a foreigner. And they, Singapore's government have got, I guess, a lot more um, restrictive in, in accessing foreigners setting up local companies. So there's kind of a due diligence process that you must go through. And finding the right partner, like in the, from an accounting point of view, I find in Australia, us being here, it's easy to find an accountant. They're not necessarily the right one, but you know you can get someone to do those services pretty easy. But to get someone that's offshore that you understand culturally because their laws are very different, um, that was a challenge. So I reached out to people I knew. Um, and I'm not good at reaching out asking for help. And I thought, like, I need help. You know, I need to connect with people in Asia that have already done this. And that's what I did. So tell me, did you join EO before you launched a Singapore branch or was it after? It was about the same time. So I've been EO seven years this year. And I set up, officially I registered the company in 2016. And I wanted a second baby. And I couldn't have a second child at that time in my in my life. And I was going through IVF. And I thought, you know what? Singapore's going to be my baby. And there's a photo of me in Singapore with the accountant, who I still have to this day with my registration certificate of business. And I was six weeks pregnant. Wow. So, so when it actually happened, it took me about a good four or five months to set up the entity and get it registered. So you have to also be present there to actually sign legal documents. It's kind of, you can't do things by PDF at, in 2016. You have to have life mm -hmm. signature, real stamps and things like that. So I had two babies. One was born in 2017 and Singapore was born in 2016. <laughs> That's essentially why I had the time and the energy to to kind of put into it. I thought right. Yeah. Well, the reason why I'm asking is that were you able to leverage any of the contacts that you maybe have met at EO? Because we, we, EO is basically located everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, did you find some members in Singapore? Actually hadn't at that time, but now fast forward, I have got so – when I go to Singapore, you know, if I'm there for a week, I'm like, I could fill up my diary for breakfast, lunch and dinner just to make uh, – just actually see people I've made connections with. 
And I think because of 2017, I had I had a newborn and, you know, I only kind of had the business there for a couple of years before the big C word. I hadn't used the connections like I should have in hindsight, but I have since done that. And an example of that is, you know, going on to, actually didn't, I used the uh, EO website to find the local connections, but I actually connected with the local chapter first and sent an email saying, hey, I'm in town, I've got a local company, I'd like to connect, you know, with like-minded people and I've met some fabulous um, people. So my lesson learned out of that is do it, don't delay, use that material that we have because I probably could have used that to my advantage much more in 2016 than oh like, yeah. Yeah, wow, yeah, like it was right there but you forgot to leverage, wow. I was new, you know, like I joined I joined Yoni EO in 2016. It was kind of the same time and obviously there was, there was a lot going on at that time as well in my life. So in hindsight, that's probably why I didn't. I didn't know it was available. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the resources to set up offshore in Singapore or any country is like second to none. Mm, amazing. Okay, so share with us like how did you start building your team? So, you know, you obviously had people working for you in Australia, but then now that you're in Singapore, you I must imagine that clients are saying, yep, all right, yep, I want to give you a go and I want to work with you. Then what did you do with in terms of support? Yeah, that has been my biggest challenge is building the local team. And I think that even today, to this date, that is still my my biggest challenge. And after doing all the research, talking to EOs of people over open offshore, what is the biggest challenge is um, having not being present in that country. So, you know, the perfect wish list, if I could live there for, you know, two years or, or three years to kind of start with, then that would be the best scenario. It wasn't an option and, and at the moment. Uh, so I hired local people to had had the industry experience and to actually develop the clientele and, and business that way. Um, so it was a great time starting um, with, you know, pre-COVID, but now, for instance, we've got a local regional manager. We're a part of um, a furniture brand. We are mixed with their showroom. There is um, no conflict. We've got great product that we actually service the same clientele and we're investing a lot in our marketing and also our kind of client activities to the architects and designers. So we've just done the Married Hotel over there. Um, We've just done the Park Royal. You know, we've done Facebook. We've done Macquarie Bank. We've got some really um, great projects under our belt. We do a lot of show houses, which are like our um, display apartments here in Australia. Um, so it's growing. It hasn't grown to, I guess, the um, level that it, that it can grow to. And that is one of, I guess, my opportunities and my kind of key KPIs the next 12 to 18 months is to focus on the Singapore business. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can just so imagine because you're a mom with kids and then, you know, you've got your business here. And then, so yeah, how do you actually make sure that uh, you, you split your time between here and Singapore? How often do you actually go there? Uh, normally, again, with the big C, through everything up in the air. Um, and in during COVID, Singapore construction stopped, whereas Australia, it didn't. And that's a big difference. Like projects pretty much stopped. Um, in Australia, it didn't. So normally, I go about four times a year. Uh, but we have committed to a lot of marketing activity this year. So we just had a big um, launch with a, a, a commercial magazine last month. So my sales manager went, I'm going in two weeks uh, we have another event in May with um, another magazine launch. So my sales manager is going to go to that. Um, so we're going to shift it up a little bit. We've got a new like regional manager starting and we're building the team and we want to scale fast. Mm-hmm. So do you find that doing marketing is a very different 
uh, you know, it's almost like do you have to have different campaigns? Like Australia, you're kind of doing it differently. Singapore, you have to really think in a different way or, yeah, any differences in in the way you operate your business, whether it's marketing or operations in, in either countries? One of the biggest lessons I've learned is the value of design and the value of design in in Asia is very different to Australia. Mm-hmm. And we're very forward-thinking. We, we, we're global textile leaders as such. So kind of collections that we put out, we're normally a good 18, sometimes three years ahead of our time. And I can see the cycles of our collections and when um, our collections launch and when kind of the activity starts to drive is is several months, if not sometimes years. And in, in Asia... The collections that we are kind of doing in Australia three years ago are kind of popular. So I almost, I'm not going to say it's behind, but they um, like to do what has already been done more so. Uh-huh. Not all, but, you know, that has been one of the biggest challenges. So from a marketing perspective, we had this conversation in the team is, oh, let's show that new collection we launched last month. I'm like, no, no, hang on, actually. No, let's we, we we haven't kind of I guess communicated all our collections to the market in Asia. How about we communicate this collection that's doing really well in this type of market? So absolutely, the marketing is is different. Mm, so the taste and the design is different, and then but in a way you get to recycle them. Whatever has worked in Australia is now can be reused in Singapore. Is that when I recycle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> multi-use but we're still changing because we're custom we still might we might use an existing base design for instance and alter the colors so it's kind of creating a new design um but yes and we also we have our own design collections online um you know when i first started the business 90 percent was custom designed uh as in from scratch from the designer's brief whereas now you know 80 percent of our work would be using our existing designs and then custom and in Mm. 95 percent our design collection they want to, uh-huh. kind of want to see it already done and made, and that's what I want to see produced. Yeah, I think I'm that type of customer. Actually, I like to just look <laughs> because I, I I'm not as creative, and I like to just see what's out there. Uh, so you mentioned that you wish that you kind of leverage on the contacts of EO earlier. Was there any other regrets or things you wish you could have done, you know, better looking back? Um. Not really. I'm pausing because it was probably not an ideal time to start a company pre-COVID in a different country. You know, when you're establishing a specific country and you can't be physically present um, and depend on someone who, you know, has only been in the business a short time over there is wasn't ideal. So I don't feel I could change anything from that perspective. Um I mean, there's been numerous cultural barriers, which I expected. I don't see any new, but, you know, the in Australia, we kind of have a time frame of employees, you know, it, to stay three to four years in a company is quite normal. In Asia, they're saying, you know, 18 months. And that's, wow. a, lot, that's a lot of churn. Wow. That, that kind of just, we've got a training pro, an online, you know, training program, but that's a lot of churn for a salesperson, you know, to learn the content, build relationships, um, you know, develop a brand. It, it, it's quite difficult. Mm. That has been probably one of the biggest challenges. And I think part of me says, well, if that's the norm, you know, we're not normal, we're bespoke. I don't want the norm. So let's look for something. Yeah. Uh, and I've gone through this in the last couple of months, but then realistically, if that's the way their culture is and we have to accept that, then it, it changes in my mindset on investing in someone's future and their growth, which kind of goes against our values and culture as an organisation. And I feel that 
one of the big challenges. You know, I'm always about mentoring and training team and, and keeping them. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but it, there's a consistent pattern and it changes your way of thinking on how then do you motivate and retain employees where that is what they do, you know, like that, you know, $500 a month. Mm, interesting. Hey, I'll give you that 500 It's It's not about that. It's just a very different dynamic. Yeah. Do you think that if you had, if you were lucky enough to have a really good business partner that lived in Singapore that knows the culture and would it make a difference in, in growing the business uh, or retaining staff? I think so. So the team, like my manager there is is set to be a partner like that's where that's it's always been hey i want a partner it's not you're not an employee it's a partner you have um the opportunity to have a share of the entire company here so it's always been communicated that from day one but they um aren't they, a, a lot of people don't think that way you know like like we speak that way and i act that way but i don't kind of feel they're 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 not brought up like that Mm-hmm. Okay. Any regret in expansion and any future plans for further expansion in other countries at all? I'd never say never. Um, but there's a lot of things, a lot of opportunities that we can do already. And, and as I mentioned, we're scaling up. We have a coach. So there's a lot of opportunities in Asia and there's a lot of also opportunities in Australia. But if someone knocked on my door tomorrow and said, hey, there's an opportunity here in, in wherever, would I say no? Absolutely not. Is it on the near horizon the next 12 months? No, because there is a massive um, growth opportunity for us not just in Singapore, in Asia, you know, and we're talking all the surrounding Asian countries. So that is, um, yeah, a huge ocean yeah. that we are kind of only floating on top of. Yeah. Well, I, I know you very well in a sense where you, uh, I, I hang out with you. I know you're so energetic, you're motivated. It's like, what keeps that energy? Like, why are you so motivated and not like, you know, I'm getting older, I just want to stay at home and, and you know, go shopping and eating or something. You're just so motivated in business. What, what's the secret there? You know, I think I love learning and, you know, I'll always get older. I'll never want to always stay at home. Um, you know, as a person, obviously you, you you get older and you evolve and you change. Um, I'm passionate um, about lots of things in life and I'm passionate in life. And I think I am I'm very grateful, you know, to be here today, to be able to have these opportunities. And I think the world is such a huge place and to stay put and not learn, and I think that's what EO has done for me in the years. I cannot imagine like not learning and even going to an EO event this week and I got three nuggets out of listening, you know, to Toby Pierce and my mind always ticks and I'm always, I am always, it's naturally in my instinct is to strive for more, learn more, grow more. It doesn't mean, you know, I don't want, you know, a $100 million dollar, dollar company um, you know, I, I don't want that. I want a, I want a nice balance and I want a nice life and I want to be available for my children. I want to be present. But saying that, that has what has restricted partially my growth in Singapore is because I do have children and my family and it's always that challenge, you know, what 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 little pieces gives up or what do you do and and, and what's gonna be what, what are you gonna compromise on? Um and what are those priorities? But yeah, gosh, if I don't have any passion, Lynn, I'll be on the floor. Six <laughs> I can't imagine you doing nothing, so that's for sure. But yeah, I can resonate well with you. And so just leave, this leads me to the last question, which I love to ask the audience is, you know, ultimately, what do you want the world to remember you for? I, you know, when you think about, I was in the office this morning, someone was talking about the funeral on our cultural 
differences in our office and like you know Indians one of the girls is Indian wears beautiful bright colors and I wear a lot of black to work and we go to funerals in Australia and wear black but in in India you wear white and in other countries and and we started talking about how death today so it's funny you asked that and I thought wow you know how would I like to be remembered and I think it is passionate you know lived life to the fullest um lived lived a beautiful life um that was that was happy but more importantly my children have grown up as adults healthy and 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 living their best lives you know they're living their best lives and i just feel mental health is such a big thing in 2023 if you can get through life and manage your mental physical and sociological well-being you you're you know like there's nothing more to be grateful for. Uh, totally. Well, thank you so much, Corinne. I really enjoyed talking to you today. I will make sure all your contact details and your websites, etc., will be in the description of YouTube. So, yeah, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>